this is like a four cup of coffee day, which is really mild when you consider it. So for a hundred days during this COVID season, which by the way has gone on for more than a hundred days, um, for a hundred of the days during this COVID season, we had a neighbor, and I'm not going to tell you her name, just, you know, HEPA and all those things. Um, I'm just going to call her Rhonda today. So Rhonda lived next door to us for 100 days because the house previously had been a rental, and we had fantastic neighbors who rented for the first almost two years that we were in this neighborhood. And we loved those girls, and they were great. A couple of them cycled in and out of roommates, but then they moved out because the owner was going to sell the house. The house was coming listed soon in 2020, um, but then all of a sudden COVID happened and we saw the listing come off the market, which we weren't surprised by because how many of our lives have been real disrupted by what's going on? But then all of a sudden the realtor contacted us and she let us know that for a hundred days, a lady named Rhonda was going to move in and she may have different family members coming and staying with her during the cycle of the 100 days because she was getting stem cell transplants at Vanderbilt. She was from out of town, supposed to come here for 100 days, be at Vanderbilt every single day for a big portion of that, having the stem cell transplant completely quarantined. Even before any of us knew about social distancing for health restrictions, Rhonda knew about social distancing for health restrictions because she was going to be, for a long season of fighting this cancer, very immunocompromised, and she was supposed to stay in an Airbnb. We're in Nashville, so we know what that word means, Airbnb, for the duration, but because of COVID, lost the place to stay. Enter this realtor, enter this homeowner who decided to let her live there for the 100 days. And what we got out of it was a neighbor that we just wish would stay. Now, of course, we're glad that the treatment went really well and that she was able to go home. But we loved her. And we built a great relationship with her and her family. You guys remember in May, a lot of the city, probably some of you guys too, were without power for a long duration. Well, our two houses were as well. And God provided us with an incredible resource during that season because we were able to use not one but two generators to power different parts of our home. We certainly didn't have all of the power that we needed, but we were able to keep our refrigerator and our food and run a little small portable air conditioning unit during the time when we needed it a whole lot. And we also ran a cable across the driveways so that Rhonda could have some power. We would often find ourselves outside eating dinner or playing games. She would watch Simon shoot basketball. We would talk. I was building some outdoor furniture, and her husband, who was in for the weekend, came and talked to me for at least an hour about wood stain. We just developed a friendship. And I continue to marvel over this season that if it weren't for COVID-19, our paths never would have crossed, and we never would have met. She would have come to the city and stayed somewhere else. She would have come to the city and done her treatment from some other vantage point. She would have come to the city and done whatever she needed to do for how many days she needed to do it. And the house would have sold long before that and we would have had a whole different set of neighbors. When I think about Rhonda, I'm, I have to be happy that this happened. And I have to be happy that we've walked through this disruption to our lives this difficult circumstance that we're seeing. I think we encounter that a lot in the book. I think we encounter that a lot in the whole Bible, but specifically in the book of Acts. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 today, so if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, we're basically going to go through the whole chapter, reading almost every single verse from it. They'll appear on the screen. You can follow along in your Bibles or on your handheld mobile devices, but regardless of what you do to follow along, please follow along. Not just with the words that are on the page, but with the meaning that they bring to our 
lives. It's verse 1 of chapter 16. Um, it says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And you'll remember that at the end of chapter 15, what we encounter from the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, who he parted ways with, that they were leaving a council where believers had determined exactly what it was going to take for Gentiles to join their ranks as followers of Jesus Christ. It was an argument, it was a disagreement, but they dove in and they came to a collected statement. And then Paul and Barnabas were tasked to go into all the regions where they had previously been making converts of Gentiles to come to faith in Christ and give them the news of what the Jerusalem council decided. And you remember at the end of that chapter that Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement about who they should take on that journey. And so they actually parted ways, but to continue to go to the cities where they had been, strengthening the churches that they had planted, Derby and Lystra were some of those places. And so what we know is that from Paul's first missionary journey, where he and Barnabas went through these places, they encountered Gentiles, they converted them to faith, they also encountered Jewish people and converted them to faith, and then they left, and when they came back, they found those same believers, and even more because they had multiplied, and in this case, Timothy. We learn from the books and the letters that Paul wrote to him later on in Scripture that his mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois, were some of those first people converted to faith in Jesus Christ during that missionary journey. And now they were bringing young Timothy up, whose father was Greek, as a disciple. It says that the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. He had a good reputation. Paul wanted to take him as a young disciple, as a young apprentice. We know that's what Timothy became, a disciple in faith. He wanted to take him along on the journey so, this is where it gets complicated. He circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, we had just come off a council. We had just come off a council where they determined that people did not have to be circumcised in order to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we just want to be real honest for a second, because if somehow or another, as an adult in this world, if there had been a circumcision requirement, and my parents had not already taken care of that on, like, I don't know, the first day of life, I don't know that I would be standing in front of you today. It's like, can you imagine can you go there for just a second in your mind, as weird as it is? Imagine being somebody who came in off the street today to find Jesus at the Rolling Hills Community Church, Nashville campus. And as one of the prerequisites to you coming to faith, we announced at the end of the service, you who have come from Sylvan Park, we're so excited. Let me tell you about Jesus. And in order to know him and trust him and follow him, you're going to have to leave your life of idolatry behind. You're going to have to confess your sins repent and turn from your wicked ways and then we want you to make your way down the aisle to the front where there's an altar and Patrick because he just reads more outdoorsy than me it's going to take a flint knife I don't know what that is even sterilize it and cut some stuff we would not have many followers of Jesus if that were a requirement today and if you were here with us last week or you happen to have read Acts chapter 15, you know from diving into those words that all three of big leading believers in Jesus Christ, apostles in the community, Peter and Paul Barnabas, plus James, James stood up and said, guys, I don't think we should make it difficult for the Gentiles to come to Christ. And they agreed as a community that there were some conditions. You had to abandon any practices that were related to idol worship, but circumcision was not one of those things. And then three verses into the next chapter, you have Paul, a proud proponent of the fact that Gentiles don't have to be circumcised, telling Timothy, okay, I want to take you on my journey, journey but first, I think you and I 
because we're people and because we're proud. We wear arrogance like a cardigan. We think we know better. We are conditioned, maybe it's American, I don't know. We are conditioned to read things like this in scripture and spot inconsistency. That's a lazy man's interpretation. Because if we dig deep, we'll find that the Bible always answers its questions. And this answer is audience. You have to look at the people that we're talking about. It's a point in your message notes today. If you're following along on a mobile device, you can see it on the screen. You're filling some sort of blank. It is not inconsistent to simultaneously hold brothers accountable. You and me, brothers and sisters and me. It is not inconsistent to simultaneously hold one another accountable while somehow amending to help unbelievers discover. Those Gentile converts to faith, unbelievers who found Jesus. The Judaizers in Acts, people that should have known better, trying to create hurdles for folks to jump through. In Scripture, you see Jewish believers and Gentile believers. You see Jewish unbelievers and you see Gentile unbelievers. Different audiences, different backgrounds, different questions, different needs, different contexts. And Paul happily obliged. This is why. It's in 1 Corinthians. He spells it out for us. He said, though I'm free, I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. It was all about the gospel. He said, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. So this moment wasn't circumcision to obtain Christianity. It was circumcision in order to win an audience with unbelievers. Those are different. We don't jump through those hurdles in order to earn God's favor, but we happily jump through hurdles in order to win an audience with unbelievers so that we can share the good news of the gospel. Paul wrote in verse 22 of that same chapter of 1 Corinthians that he became all things to all people so that by all means he might save some. This chapter, like a lot of the New Testament, reads like episodic television, like one different encounter after another. It's a collection of episodes. Many of you guys maybe have watched sitcoms all your life. I grew up on the Andy Griffith Show, and I can say with confidence that I've seen every single episode multiple times of the first five seasons, but I'm not so sure I've seen the last three because I don't really like them once they turn color. The black and whites were so much better. I can also say with confidence that you give me a line from any of the 10 seasons of Friends on NBC, and I can tell you which episode it came from. Every single one of those episodes of Friends was titled The One With or The One Where. The One. It's basically this one time something happened. And if you watch that show in all 10 seasons, you'll see every single episode as a standalone encounter, funny on its own, great little story contained in 30 minutes with commercials on television, but you'll also see a bigger arc from the first episode of season one to the last episode of season 10, driving a longer, bigger, overarching story forward. Every episode that happened in the book of Acts, every episode that happened in this simple chapter of Acts was a little contained story 
but it was part of a bigger narrative that moved the gospel forward. We pick up with verse 4. It says, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions that were reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. We see that as a recurring theme throughout the book of Acts. The church continued to grow from 2,000 to 3,000 to 4,000 to 5,000 to infinite number of thousands of believers, and it was strengthened Daily, it says, Paul and his companions in verse 6 traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. God is literally their GPS system taking them on this journey. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision. One of several visions that he had in Scripture. Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing in begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen that vision, we got ready to, it says we, I love that it transitions to like a first person. That means that Luke, who's writing these words, must have been a part of this journey because he didn't just say, when Paul had this vision, he got ready to leave. He said, when Paul had this vision, we got ready to leave at once for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The individual episodes of our lives. This would be a story that we just pass over hoping for the next miracle, which we'll come to at the end of the chapter. But what we have to understand is that each episode of our story, this vision, this travel, this stop on the journey, every single individual episode of our lives should contribute to the overall purpose of our lives. Every single episode for Paul always contributed to the idea of Strengthening the churches and preaching the gospel to people everywhere. And the more you dive into this chapter, the more you realize is that it's people, always people. It's always people who matter the most. You see, Timothy that he encountered in Lystra was a young believer who happened to be biracial. And it was his story background, his ethnicity, his struggle, his challenges, his heritage that were important to the story. Many would have dismissed Timothy as not a worthy traveling companion because to the Greeks he would have been a little bit too Jewish and to the Jewish he would have been a little bit too Greek. It's the people in the story that matter the most. And so in verse 11 from Troas, we Luke included and all the other leaders, we, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next we went on to Neapolis. And from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Why did they expect to find a place of prayer? They expected to find a place of prayer outside the city where the Jews could gather because they wouldn't have been allowed inside the city to gather together. In order for there to have been a synagogue in that city, they would have had to have 10 leading male Jews. And so apparently that city was low on Jews and high on Gentiles, and they didn't have an opportunity. But they did, however, expect, couldn't go to the synagogue, but they did expect to find a place of prayer outside the city where we expected it to be, we sat down and we began to speak to who? The women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord 
opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, when she and all the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she gets a line in scripture. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. We know from this passage where we meet her for the first time in other coordinating parts of scripture history that Lydia was an influential leader in the life of the church. She happened to be a woman. That story, that episode, it, it, it drives her to drives us to a bigger narrative, a bigger part of the purpose for our lives to call together people to faith. There are theologians who would call this moment in Scripture an effectual calling as opposed to an external calling. An effectual calling is the work that God does to draw people to himself. And an external calling is the work that we do to draw people to God. And what Paul encountered in this moment, what Luke encountered, what Timothy encountered, was somebody who the Holy Spirit of God was already calling to believe in him. They just came in and sealed the deal and pointed her to Christ. She not only became a convert to faith, she became a leader in faith. Next episode, it says, once we were going to the place of prayer where we met a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved, which sounds like a really good deal. Like we've got this whole parade, uh, ticker tape, coming and telling you, hey, I'm making a big announcement that people who are going to tell you about God are on their way in. These men are the servants of the Most High God, and they are telling you the way to be saved. But she kept doing this for many days. Finally, I love this, Paul became so annoyed. Can you imagine? It's like when your kid has a thousand questions a day. I can't say that during the second service because two of my kids will be here and they will know that I'm talking about them. It's like when they ask a thousand questions a day. Can you imagine? He says, yeah, you can, amen. <laughs> says, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. And what you know in that moment, that is the evil spirit left her. Her ability to tell fortunes also left, which, as you can imagine, in the verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money, it's all about the economy, was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. See, Timothy was a young disciple who happened to be biracial. Lydia was an influential leader who happened to be a woman. This slave girl was an annoyance who became an opportunity because of what came next. Y'all, our life's been interrupted. Like everything that you had planned for 2020, everything that you thought about this year of your life has been disrupted. And a lot of the disruptions, they are annoying. And we're, we're kind of fed up. And you see that every time you turn on the computer screen or every time you turn on the television or every time you get ready to leave. You 
her house. Interruptions in life are kind of par for the course. Practically all of ministry is just one disruption after another. You have to learn to balance disruptions with distractions. Because disruptions are the things that God uses to keep you on purpose. Distractions are the things that the enemy uses to pull you away. And I am not a professional at deciphering the difference between the two. I read this week on the 413 Strong email, and if you've ever flip-flopped, if you've ever slept in on a Sunday morning and attended the 1030 service that we have here on campus, you'll notice a big group of young men who come in week after week. And they are from a local ministry called 413 Strong. Many of you know Stephen Morris and our body who brings these young men to church because they're part of a program to help them make changes in their life that will last and build a legacy for their families and their futures that will take them out of the systems that they've been a part of and put them in a new place. And I read this on the blog email this week. It says, business as usual, that's what many of us are longing to return to since COVID-19 has completely disrupted daily activities and typical summer plans. I saw a coffee mug from a comedian that I like and that I follow and I like starred their post online and it said, I am ready for precedented times. We have had too much of unprecedented times. I'm ready for some precedented times. I'm ready for things to go back to business as usual. But here at 413 Strong, this is what it says. This season has reminded us that we are in the business of disruption. Disruption is a good thing. We are in the business of disruption. We exist to disrupt the cycles of poverty, crime, and dependency that our men and their families have been burdened by. We exist to replace those patterns with progress towards fulfilling individual potentials and establishing paths to prosperous futures. The disruptions can be a really good thing as they point us back to our purposes. The thing in life that sometimes becomes the most annoying thing in life can really be an opportunity in life to accomplish the purpose that God has for us in life. And if you sit down and you look at all three of those encounters and you put them on a whiteboard, I should have done that this morning, and you bullet them out, you've got one encounter that has to do with racism because of a biracial young kid who came to faith in Jesus Christ. You've got one situation that has to do with sexism because a woman became an influential leader in the life of the early church, and we're still having that conversation today, 2,000 years later, about whether a woman can be an influential leader in the life of the church. Yes, she can. We're still having that conversation about racism. We're still having that conversation about sexism. You've got that third encounter. You've got social caste system, because we're still having that conversation today, too. The one about race, the one about sex, the one about poverty, has and have not. And I'm a middle class, decently educated, white man. And I have encountered all three of those people, but I've never been in the shoes of any one of those people. And when it comes to our purpose, it's always people who matter most. It's always people who matter the most. Verse 22, the crowd joined in in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Y'all, this is difficult days. 
after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. And I'll stop right there, because I so often focus so much more on my chains, on my stocks, on my circumstances, on my disruptions. Not these guys. They focus on the chains. They focused on the cross. Because about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. There's always somebody listening. There's always somebody watching. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. This is why we move past Timothy. This is why we move past the vision. This is why we skip past Lydia. This is why we go past the slave girl, because we're so excited about the miracle, but we can't bypass any of those episodes, because each one of those episodes is a part of a larger narrative where God is taking us somewhere. But at midnight, there was such a violent earthquake, you go back to verse 26, that the foundation of the prison was shaken, and at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, and he rushed in, and he felt trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, you know, the Judaizers don't want him to be circumcised, but we count, we canceled that over at a council where we were able to say, no, he doesn't have to be circumcised. We're going to go somewhere else with this moment. Like, what must I do to be saved? And they replied this. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the elders in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and he set a meal before them and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Got Timothy, who was a young disciple, who happened to be biracial. You've got Lydia, who was an influential leader, who happened to be a woman. You've got this slave girl who was annoying but became an incredible opportunity because now you have a jailer, a man who was willing to die for his job. He found greater joy in Christ. The people are always the purpose. The people are always the purpose. And relationships always have the greatest return on an investment because not just the jailer, but his whole household received the blessing of him being a recipient of that miracle that day and desiring to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I have a friend named Matt Tipton that God put me in contact with when I came here 13 years ago to be a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor at Rolling Hills. He was a youth pastor at another church in Franklin, and we, through a mutual friend, struck up a friendship. And the three of us would get together, and we would have breakfast, and we would laugh, and we would commiserate about the woes of youth ministry and the difficulties of serving a local church while we ate carbohydrates, and it was good times. But then Matt, feeling called of God, moved to New Orleans, where he had gone to seminary and lived for a long time, to plant a church. And he'd reached out to a lot of contacts and invited people that he still knew in the city to kind of come together for a prayer meeting just to pray about where they should plant a church and what kind of church they should plant and, and what kind of opportunity would be presented before them. And I'm ruining the story. But when he got there, it wasn't just the people he knew who were present. It was all these people that he 
didn't know. And he didn't know how they were invited. He didn't know how they heard about the prayer meeting. He didn't know what kind of context they would have had to even know who he was. And at the end of the prayer meeting where they had prayed about the church, he was striking up a conversation with a couple of them. And he asked them, like, hey, do you know me? asked him, like, how did you even hear about this? And he goes, oh, yeah, I know so-and-so. So-and-so wasn't even there. And he was like, well, how, how do you know him? I, I knew him when I was a campus minister here before, and I shared Christ with him when he was a young college student. And, and this person said, oh, yeah, I know after he became a Christian as a college student, he met me senior year, and he led me to Christ, too. So there Matt was face-to-face with not his spiritual children, but his spiritual grandchildren and his spiritual great-grandchildren, because somehow or another, when people matter more, the relationships that we develop in life will build a legacy and always yield a greater return on investment than we ever imagined. And any effort that we make to reach and to strengthen and to serve other people and to make people our priority will always be worth it. Every little episode of your life ought to be always centered on God's word. And when it is, your purpose in life will be focused on people. Their story, their history, their heritage, their background, their questions, their ideas. And when we focus on people, we will get a great return on every single investment we make. Rhonda finished her 100 days. And we were honestly kind of sad about that because we didn't want to see her go. And she came over to the driveway the night before she was leaving and we were outside cleaning up from where we had just had dinner and kind of packing up the games for the day because we think it was going to rain and we tell the kids to put, you know, when she goes, parent, put up your noise. And she came over with a box and a card and she said, hey, I got y'all a gift because we're leaving tomorrow. And we started to have this conversation and we began to talk about how good it was to have them as a neighbor. And then she tells us in tears, hey, you guys ministered to me in a really big way. And I'm sitting there saying, yeah, we did extend our power to you when you didn't have power. And she said, no, we just watched. Even when you guys didn't know it, we were watching. Because people are always watching. People are always listening. People are always tuning in, whether you know it or not. They're, they're always watching. And she said, I just want you to know I have the greatest joy sitting outside and watching Simon, seven-year-old, shoot basketball. Because every time he makes a goal, and somehow or another, in spite of the fact that I'm his father, he makes a lot of goals, and he does like this afterwards. We are going to have to work on pride. (laughs) She said, I'm going to be so excited just watching him play and make goals. And watching you guys grow out and pray as a family, and watching y'all play outdoor games. And so she handed us this box, and she said, this is our favorite outdoor game, and we hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did. She gave us a card, which basically just said all the things that she had already communicated to us. And I thought so hard about that. Susan used it as a teachable moment just to say to our kids, hey guys, people are always watching. And even when you don't realize that you have an opportunity to make an investment and to make a difference, you always have an opportunity to make an investment and make a difference in someone's life. I think about Ashley, who owns that home. And I think about Jessica, who's a friend of ours, the realtor, trying to sell that home, and how they put their own profit on hold for months in order to make a difference in somebody else's life. 
And then I think about the disruption that we're going through. And, and, and what you and I might be willing to put on hold. And what you and I might be willing to put aside. Because someone's watching. And they need somebody to willingly and sacrificially and lovingly think that people matter so much that they're willing to sacrifice in order to make an investment in their life. And when we do, we will accomplish the purpose that God has set for us in life because the purpose is always people. And no matter what the episodes, the individual stories, the days, the weeks, the months that are occurring in your life right now, every single one of them is being woven together by God to give you an opportunity to accomplish the purpose that he has set before you in life. It's in this chapter to reach people with the gospel good news of Jesus Christ and then to strengthen the other believers around you. That's what all these episodes in Paul's life did. Reach people, strengthen believers. That's what we're supposed to be about. So take an inventory. Take an inventory of the last five years or the last 10 years or the last, let's just be honest, some of you 60 years. Let's just take an inventory of all the years. What if you stopped and just started with an inventory of the last six months? What are the episodes that have occurred? Because, y'all, we've had a long season. And every single one of those episodes. Every single one of those encounters. What's happened at your workplace in the last six months? What's happened in your neighborhood in the last six months? Who have you met in the last six months that you did not know before the last six months? What kind of difficulty have you walked through in the last six months? What kinds of opportunity have presented themselves to you in the last six months? What kind of encounters, what kind of disruptions, what kind of annoyances has been following you around? The last few months, because every single one of those is an opportunity specifically given to you in the last six months so that you may accomplish the purpose that God has for the entire narrative of your life and our life. We go back to Luke, the writer of these words. Most of the time it was third person. Telling about Peter, telling about Paul, telling about James, telling about Barnabas, telling about Simon, telling about other people. But was the, there was also a moment where he said, we, we traveled, we met, we encountered. Sometimes you're living on the third person side of what God is accomplishing in someone else's life. When he wants you to be in the story and show me what he can accomplish through your life. We have a purpose to reach people and to strengthen believers in every single thing we walk through. The good parts and the bad parts and the disruptive parts and the difficult parts, they are intentionally given to us as a gift so that God can write his story and accomplish his purpose in our lives. And so we pray to that end today. Would you join me? Holy God, we want to tell you that in the middle of every distraction, in the middle of every difficulty, in the middle of every circumstance, in the middle of every encounter, we know, God, that you prioritize people, that you love us, and that you desire a relationship with us, that you want to show us how well you know us and you want us so desperately to know you. You want us to know your purpose for our lives. And then you want us to willingly submit to that purpose for our lives. So God, today we tell you thank you. 
Thank you for allowing us to see a story. Thank you for allowing us to witness and hear your call. Thank you for every encounter. Thank you for every circumstance. Thank you for every difficulty. Thank you for pointing us to people so that your purpose can be revealed, that we would know you and make you known. So for my brothers and sisters in this room, you know, we hold each other accountable so that we can make all the amendments that we need to make in order to help someone who doesn't know you discover you. Would you help us to see the daily disruptions as big time opportunities to share the goodness of the hope that we found in Jesus? Lord, as I come to know these people, I recognize that there are some hard stories in this room. I recognize that there are some difficult backgrounds and some difficult circumstances and some challenging roads in the rearview mirror. May each one of us today be so intimate with Jesus that we see all of those parts of our story all of those interruptions to our journey as a big time blessing allowing you to do an incredible work in our lives so that other people can see how important it is to follow you with our lives. In a way, God, that you have spoken to us corporately today, we also trust that your Holy Spirit has spoken individually to us today. And so collectively, we submit to your will for our lives. And we tell you that we want to follow you. Maybe you're somebody this morning that's dealing with a specific, one of those difficulties, one of those disruptions, one of those circumstances that you just can't quite wrap yourself around. I want you to know that Patrick and I are here all day. We get here early on Sunday mornings and we stay until the very end and lock the doors. If you wanted to talk or to pray or to kind of decipher whatever it is that God's doing in your life, we would love nothing more than to connect with you on that. If there's a point of need that we can pray for or a point of ministry calling that we can help you understand, that's not a disruption, that's a blessing. We'd love to walk through that with you. As we close our time in worship today, I ask you, looking at the inventory of your life just over the last few months, what are the ways that you see God's unique calling unfold in you? Helping you discover the ways that he wants to use you for his glory. Holy God, it's in your holy, perfect name that we pray. And to your son's fame that we dedicate our lives. Amen.